Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. He was shopping in a store, and on the glass outside it said face covering required, and we could see him inside, and his face was uncovered. Well, again, Peter, our recommendation and advice continues to be for people to wear uh, masks when they are required in establishments. I don't know what this establishment was. The president obviously follows the health, the advice of his health and medical it's team. He was shopping in a store, and on the glass outside it said face covering required, and we could see him inside, and his face was uncovered. Well, again, Peter, our recommendation and advice continues to be for people to wear uh, masks when they are required in establishments. I don't know what this establishment was. The president obviously follows the health, the advice of his health and medical it's team. He was shopping in a store, and on the glass outside it said face covering required, and we could see him inside, and his face was uncovered. Well, again, Peter, our recommendation and advice continues to be for people to wear uh, masks when they are required in establishments. I don't know what this establishment was. The president obviously follows the health, the advice of his health and medical it's team. Yeah, John, this is the result of a broken cash bail system in Wisconsin and many other states combined with prosecutorial malpractice. So let me break that down. In Wisconsin, every defendant is entitled to cash bail. Even now, Daryl Brooks, now that he's killed six people, still has cash bail. It's five million dollars. He'll never reach it. But if he was wealthy, he could pay that and get out of jail. They base bail there on wealth, on can you post the money. A better system is to base it on risk. So an obviously high-risk offender like Daryl Brooks can get locked up without bail. On top of that, the prosecutors here, to say their comment now that the bail was inappropriately low, that is the understatement of the century. I mean, let's walk it through. As Omar said, Daryl Brooks has a criminal record going back to the 90s. He's a registered sex offender. In 2020, he gets arrested for a firearms offense and released on $500 bail. Then, two weeks ago, he gets arrested for trying to run someone over with a car, and this time, they upped the bail from 500 to 1,000. That is outrageous. That is inexplicable. First of all, there hasn't been meaningful bail reform, <clears throat> as far as I know. 
in Wisconsin. Exactly. It's not one of the states that's had it. The reasons behind bail reform, Ellie, are what? So there's two legitimate purposes for bail. One is to ensure that the person comes back to court and doesn't flee. The second is to protect the community. And that's not a feature of the Wisconsin system. In the federal system, where I grew up as a prosecutor, and in New Jersey after we changed it, you can take that into account. You can go in front of a judge as a prosecutor and say, this person, Daryl Brooks, is too dangerous based on his criminal record, based on the fact that he has warrants out for him now, based on the fact that he tried to run someone over nine days ago and he needs to be locked up. No cash bail. Doesn't matter if he's wealthy. Can't, if he, he President Biden's big domestic agenda is facing a big test on Capitol Hill. You'll recall last week the House passed a nearly two trillion dollar Build Back Better bill, as he calls it, but it now faces a difficult battle in the Senate. And the White House is looking for anything that could help boost the president's sagging approval ratings. Just 44 percent of Americans say he is doing a good job in their opinion. The Democrats have all of these ideas that people say they like in polls, but then when they're asked, do they like Democrats or the president in particular, they say no. Help me understand that. Well, this is uh, the oldest thing in the book, trying to get people to actually invest in in, in your political um, ability to actually get the ideas passed through. But this Build Back Better bill has uh, relief for people suffering from big bills on child care. It's yep. got stuff for climate change. It's got stuff to lower higher ed costs. It's got all these things that would affect people's lives, real people, real lives. And yet Democrats don't seem to be able to communicate that. When people are asked, will it affect them, they say no. Well, you have to remember the backdrop of everything is COVID, and that's still going on, and I think sometimes we forget that. Now, Tony mentioned the real people, but attached to those real people are real ratings. Um, President Biden's approval ratings are sagging. Um, why do you believe that is, and what can he do to bring those up? Well, he's been on a slide, really, if you go back to probably August when uh, the situation in Afghanistan deteriorated. But what, what can be done for the midterms coming up? A lot of Democrats are on the line here. How do you push forward there. Well, students of political history like me know midterms are meant for the majority party to lose. This, it gets into a very murky area because I know, like, I remember in 2016, I got, you know, photoshopped into gas chambers by the worst people in the entire world. And like, I obviously at a point where I was like, I would love to know where they lived and I could, you know, do a little research. No, but, but at the they, same but, time, I'm just thinking about, like, what does this mean for bullying is how real, speech though. is used? Kids you know, are killing it themselves is, over, over social media. But a lot of it is threats also. Yeah, threats, there are people bullying, threatening other harassment people. With, with, with death. Without criminal you accountability. You want to know who they are. Without criminal accountability, I just want them to have to identify themselves. Yep. Because stand behind it. When we talk about, right. I know freedom of speech is a government intervention, right. but the value is honored in this country. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that that is typically honored for a protest for a, an, a, yep. a, a, an organization. It is not for an egghead on Twitter. Yep. Well, say it with your own chest. Say it to me with your own chest. I am going to just go the easy route. Don't read it. <laughs> yeah. Don't read it. Because it's meant, it is meant to do exactly right. what it does to people. It is meant to make you think you don't know yourself. It is meant to make you believe that these people who have the, what do you call it, concrete courage in the bunker? They got keyboard keyboard courage. Yeah. Thomas basement. Why yeah. do we take, the real question with all of this stuff for me mm -hmm. is why do we take your word for something you don't know anything about? Me. 
Why am I taking your word that I'm all these things mm -hmm. when you don't know me? No, I'm not you looking at you. That's why you're not reading. That's right, girl. You're smart not to. Don't. You know, when the founding fathers uh, were busy with the amendments, the first and second amendments did not have AR-15s in there, mm -hmm. weapons of, of war, mm -hmm. and they didn't have Twitter. So both amendments, I need, I think, need to be tweaked a little bit. You know, I, I'm a That's big a fan. whole new we make our but, living on the First Amendment, so we love it. But there's a lot of hate speech and misinformation needs to be dealt with. That's right, but not right this second. Colorist Claude Rains shocked, but dysfunction is threatening key deadlines that are fast approaching in Congress. These issues are pieces of common sense legislation that rational lawmakers know they have to pass. The consequences of missing these deadlines have real impact. We're flirting with awfully close to these deadlines. We may be numb to it. But this is not how government is supposed to work. I know we've said it this year, last year, five years ago. It's like government dysfunction. You think it's at 11, 12, 13, 14. How much higher does the Spinal Tap amp go? The political theatrics of the Senate, what, what's the timeline here to get through, the, to get through what uh, some of these senators are trying, to, uh, are trying to do? I guess it's for Twitter mentions or something. <laughs> yeah, well, it is in the name of the conservative ideology that people like Senators Mike Lee and Ted Cruz and Roger Marshall espouse. Do they realize, though, they're just diminishing the entire institution and themselves? I mean, what political benefit is any of them getting out of this? What it does do, and you're right on this, is lend to the idea of dysfunction. Speaker Pelosi was talking about this earlier. This is silly, the idea that, they, that Republicans could shut down the government even briefly over vaccine mandates. It lends to the idea of dysfunction. And also, going into a midterm year, you have Democrats in control of both houses of Congress. It doesn't benefit Republicans to do this, but it definitely doesn't benefit Democrats either, as they're trying to show that they are the party that's in charge here. They do yeah. have the majorities in these both houses of Congress plus the White House, and this is still happening. Are you suggesting this is a, this, this is a sabotage strategy? Just make the Democrats look even more dysfunctional? Is that, is that an actual Republican strategy out there? It's our broken incentive structure system, the, the yeah. way the uh, propagandist media works on the right, the incentive. Well, I'm hoping people are hearing the message uh, loud and clear because he's only been in for nine months. Mm -hmm. And he's gotten so much and done. I just want to say, do you want to tell well, folks Well, I mean, I don't want to bore done? people with the list, but the list is long. Yeah, but yeah, but bore him. <laughs> bore him. All right. He signed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill, bipartisan bill, mm -hmm. that's going to fix the bridges and the tunnels and all the things that are falling apart. Mm -hmm. Trump couldn't do it. What else? What else yeah. did he do? He got a 1.9 trillion COVID relief plan passed in March. Yes, yeah. he did. Trump, that meant money in Trump? people's pockets. And, yeah. and, but Trump made COVID so much yeah. worse. Forget him. I, what I else did Joe do? I like to compare and contrast. I know, I know. <laughs> but what did Joe do? All right, it was a little messy, but he ended the war, a 20-year war in Afghanistan. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? He this is one I didn't even know. What? He canceled student loan debt for more than 300,000 Americans with disabilities. Yes, he did. Oh, I didn't know. That's a good that that's, that's a, Wow. Yeah. Um, these poor kids who were at the border yeah. that were separated in the last mm -hmm. administration yes. are now, made, he made sure that he reunited them with their parents in the United States or their country of origin. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like one of the worst things you can do yeah. to a child. Yeah. I think so, there were over 500, right? Over 500 were I, I reunited? A lot of them. Okay. He returned the U.S. to the Paris Climate Accord. Thank you. We're all in this together, baby. Right.
And then, and then, you know, by the way, um, yeah. it, the unemployment is down, very yeah. much down. Yes. And, um, and you can't blame the guy for the pandemic. If you don't wear a mask, and then I blame you, okay? Not him. Yeah, or you're unvaccinated. Or so you're unvaccinated. So basically, he's been doing what he's, his job is. Remember yes. when presidents did presidential stuff? Yeah. So this is apparently what I know. But, you know, you, you don't have to like his politics, but you can't beat the fact that he's working for America. That's right. That's true. Just yeah. saying. You all remember that you haven't seen your people in perhaps almost two years. Yeah. Quit crying. I am exactly like my mother. I'm in a hotel room. Holiday with my family. And I'm eating stale nuts for dinner. From what I've heard, Ellis Gray wouldn't have made it home, even if it were blue skies and sunny. You're not helping. That's because we're fine. I will cook. That sounds dangerous. Hi, Mom. Hi, Zola. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You tried to get here. And Thanksgiving isn't really a holiday we should celebrate. There's no actual evidence Native Americans were even invited to a feast. I cared more about being colonized and having their lamb stolen than mashed potatoes. I'm sorry you're alone and eating peanuts, though. Love you. I love you, Zola. Love you. What is your advice? Thanksgiving's tomorrow. We're all going to be cooking today and tomorrow. When you go so to please, the Thanksgiving the table, exactly. When you go to your Thanksgiving table and you're sitting next to your Democratic uncle or whatever, how do you? What's your advice? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, and I think this is a, a, a timely question. So. First thing is, don't get into a political debate with your family, all right? That's, that's rule number one. Right. Now, rule number two, if you can't adhere to rule number one, uh, rule number two is ask well-intentioned questions. Try to understand where they're coming from. And in doing so, you'll, you'll accomplish a couple of things. One, you'll better understand their argument and then how to counter it. But two, if you ask the right questions, you might lead them to your conclusion, but on their own. Three. Anticipate their best arguments. Don't, don't straw man their arguments. Don't use the slogans that we say to, and attach them to their argument. Try to use their best arguments and then prepare yourself with the facts and the counter arguments for those best arguments. Don't talk past each other and don't be afraid to concede a good point if they make one, okay? That's, that right. leads to a good, healthy discussion. Next, frame the argument in a way that helps them understand the core of your beliefs. So if you're arguing about, about taxation, you can, you can take a step back and say, Look, conservatives believe that we should tax people the least amount of possible so that government has just enough money to do what it's supposed to do. And the left believes that you should tax the people the most amount possible right. uh, so that government can do all the nice things that collectively we'd like to do. I don't even think they disagree with a statement like that, but it also helps them understand where you're coming from. Right. And last, the best way to end a bad debate is to laugh, make a self-deprecating joke, and offer everybody shots of tequila. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. Man, that intro just is everything. It's everything. The theme for today's show, and once again, I'm really sorry, not a lot of shows. Schedule's been terrible. It is the holiday season, so it's really hard for me to podcast. So I'm going to get a short one in today on my only two days off that I'm going to get for quite a long time until the new year comes. Biden blowing off the mask. Just today we're going to have spin and out of touch. You got Chuck Todd. You got what is up with these woke women you tell us all the time men have vaginas and women have penises, but men can't talk. I mean, shut the fuck up. Thanksgiving, man, it's just nonstop, nonstop. They're completely out of touch with reality. They don't know what normal people are. And the worst part about it is they don't fucking care. That's the scary stuff. So today we're going to take all of it 
put it in a quick podcast. And basically what we're going to do is up front cover how out of touch they are. And when they're confronted with their out of touch, it turns to hate. And then we'll cover Cuomo on the back end. So um, let's just get on in to a slideshow. But before we do, um, let, let's let's play some more of the press secretary, followed by uh, Tucker talking about Smollett, because it totally, totally fits in. Time now for our Mediate Moments, where we check in on the day's bias, buzz, and bull in the world of cable news and beyond. Cable news programmers have long been unashamed to claim that everything is breaking news. Not just news, but breaking news. To make you, the viewers, think that something big just happened, or at least in the past couple of hours or so. They, we, are all probably guilty of some form of it. But there may be no show that takes more license with that than the MSNBC program Deadline with Nicole Wallace. The producers of this show don't just try to make old news feel breaking, but instead take opinion on any topic and label it as breaking news, usually critiques of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Take, for example, this breaking news banner, the Trumpification of the Republican Party. Now, that's not a surprising topic for the show, but it's not breaking news. Neither is breaking news, the impact of Trump's big lie, or breaking news, Trump's campaign to remake the GOP and his image deepens. Remaking a party in one's image isn't breaking news. It's not even news. It's an observation or opinion. It's not even breaking opinion. Now, look, these on-screen banners aren't limited to Trump. They sometimes feature breaking news of a confused type, like breaking news, the gap between reality and perception of reality. Again, how is it breaking news to paint an allegedly confused electorate? And of course, cable news is ripe with authors promoting their tell-all books. Nicole Wallace did an interview with former Hillary Clinton aide Huma Abedin. The banner read, breaking news, Huma Abedin opens up on Anthony Weiner's sex scandal. Except that was not the first or even second or third interview that Abedin had done in her book. It was the sixth, yes, sixth interview on MSNBC. Look, chirons or on-air graphics are an essential part of letting the viewer know what's being discussed. We obviously use them, as you can see here on this show. But it's also just a lie to claim all of this is breaking news. It's an effort to deceive you, the viewer. And yet no one seems to want to call it out or stop it. That's our wrap of the day's media bias buzz in the bull. A couple days ago, President Biden was in Michigan, and he was thanking Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for the passport into her district. Now she is supporting legislation that would release all federal prisoners within 10 years. Would the president ever support that? Well, the president did enjoy visiting Michigan uh, and visiting uh, Congresswoman Tlaib's district. Uh, but let me be absolutely clear, uh, the president does not support abolishing prisons. Would the president ever apologize to the acquitted Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse for suggesting online and on TV that he is a white supremacist? <laughs> well, let's be clear what we're talking about here. This is about a campaign video 
released last year that used President Trump's own words during a debate as he refused to condemn white supremacists. But if uh, you're saying that it was just a campaign video, it wasn't. The president also gave an interview where he said this uh, Rittenhouse was part of a militia coming out of Illinois. Have you ever heard this president referring to Trump say one negative thing about white supremacists? These are all things. Uh, none of this was proven in the trial. And Kyle Rittenhouse is saying that the president had actual malice in defaming his character. Is that what happened here? The, the president spoke to the verdict uh, last week. Uh, he has obviously condemned uh, the hatred and division and violence we've seen around the country by groups like the Proud Boys. What message does it send to the middle class Americans President Biden says that he's trying to help who are struggling this week to cover the cost of the most expensive Thanksgiving ever that the president is gonna take a few days off at a billionaire's compound in Nantucket? Well, first I would say, I don't know if you've cooked a turkey before, but a 20 pound turkey is a pretty big turkey. I think we can all agree. They're about $1 more. But the president said today that he was sent here to look out for these working and middle class families who are strained right now. So what should they read into him leaving now at this time of uh, great personal financial hardship for so many to go to Nantucket for the week? Well, first I would say, Peter, that uh, I hope you're spending time with your family. Joe Biden was president. He said that COVID travel restrictions on foreign countries were hysterical xenophobia and fear mongering. So what changed? Well, I would say first to put it in full context, Peter, what the president was critical of was the way that the former president put out, I believe, a xenophobic tweet uh, and how he called that what he called the coronavirus. He believes we should uh, follow the advice of health and medical experts. That's exactly what he did in putting in place these restrictions over the weekend. Okay, we saw the president shopping indoors on Saturday behind glass that says face covering required, but his face was uncovered. Why? Uh, the president is uh, somebody who follows uh, the, the recommendations and the advice of the CDC. I don't know what the circumstances were of that particular moment. He was shopping in a store, and on the glass outside it said face covering required, and we could see him inside, and his face was uncovered. Is there concern that when the president says today, please wear your mask indoors in public settings around other people, and he doesn't do that, that it's going to make it harder to get people to follow him? I think you see the American people and all of you see the president wearing a mask every Every time he comes out to an event. Since the president said that this administration is monitoring the situation in Waukesha closely, it has been revealed by prosecutors that the assailant, the assailant swerved his truck side to side as part of an intentional act to run over as many people as possible. Six people are dead. Some children remain hospitalized. Why hasn't the president visited the members of the Has you advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country? Does that include everybody the answer is yes because you know that the new uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation if you want to call it that is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here but what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers you know, that's, that's a different issue for example when you talk we still have title 42 with regard to protection at the border so there are protections at the border there's something to do to test these people somewhere else there, no there, there is there is testing at the border president biden talks about how respecting the rule of law is one of america's most cherished values does that mean that he's going to stop pushing for these vaccine mandates for workers now that federal courts are saying that they don't know if they're legal well let's just let's just clarify exactly what we're talking about here there are vaccine requirements that 
and testing. A lot of companies do. Whatever happened to President Biden's promise to shut down the virus? We're working on it, Peter. There's another variant here. Is the is the idea that you want people now to kind of wrap their heads around that the president, instead of shutting down the virus, is going to try to help people live amidst the virus and go about their lives, but COVID is going to be here. A lot of talk about the first Trump-Biden debate today, but at the second one in 2020, when roughly 220,000 Americans had already died of COVID, Joe Biden said about Trump, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Is that still the standard now that more Americans have died under President Biden than President Trump? I think the fundamental question here is, what are you doing to save lives? And so after this happened, Kamala Harris's allies got to work making the story going away. Go away. A Michelle Obama aide reached out to a partisan DA in Chicago called Kim Fox and had charges against Jesse Smollett dismissed. Oh, that's what happens when you have friends. You're so powerless you can get Michelle Obama to make it go away. But now, thankfully, for the sake of the justice Smollett says he wanted, that decision has been reversed. So finally this week, the Smollett trial is underway. He's on trial for lying about the attack. And as part of the trial, learning some pretty interesting new information about the extent of the scam. For example, the same day that Jussie Smollett cried in his interview with Robin Roberts, which he described as beautiful, Jussie, beautiful, he was texting one of the people he claims beat him up because he's black and gay. And here's what he wrote. Brother, I love you. I stand with you, Smollett wrote. I know 100% you and your brother did nothing wrong. These are the people he paid to put a noose around his neck. Smollett was also on videotape conducting a dry run of the attack the day before it happened. <laughs> You're not hearing a ton about this in the media. Why is that? Because it undermines the core claim that they are making, which is people who vote for candidates they don't like are dangerous. People of a certain color are dangerous. The violence in America is committed by their political enemies, when in fact, that's a lie. And we know it's a lie because there are real numbers out there, and you're welcome to look them up if you like. And they do not tell you that Trump voters are the ones behind the crime wave currently in progress. So once you learn that one thing is a lie, you might start to ask yourself, hmm, what else are they lying about? And that's not a process they welcome. You know, I these are the people playing variant six. Did I not say this was going to happen? We're going to have another variant. We'll have another one before the midterms. We're going to variant the fuck out of this shit. And you're going to shut your mouth, Rube. Then you have Dam Abrams calling out Wallace. The Smollett. I'll talk more later on it. But it's just they think they can spin and lie and say whatever they want. They get it. By now, you've already seen this, so it kind of sucks, because when I saw this, I was literally working, I was taking a break in the back, and I flipped Twitter, and I saw this tweet, it was trending already the day it fucking happened, and they really thought they could get away with this. They thought they could take and exaggerate a couple days of the last month and saved you two cents. Two cents a gallon. That's all he did. They could suspend the federal tax. That would give us all relief at the pump. But they're not going to do that because they care more about the fringe element that hates gasoline and wants to go to electric so that Granholm can make a bunch of money. 
It's fucking a big, huge lie. Transportation Gov, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about the new infrastructure law. It's going to make getting from place to place so much better. Same here. What are you thinking about? It is, it's fucking propaganda. Then you have this, which goes with the Samolet. Now, everybody knows, I could play it. I'm not going to insult your intelligence. You all heard what they said. It's still on. This is America 2019. I go, 2021. That's, they're not going to withdraw that shit. But they're going to tell you, you, you shouldn't call it looting. We don't want to offend people that are in organized crime and if they're white, they go away. Their core base, the women, we apologize because we use actual math. And the math might offend people because of the year. These are the people they care about. People who believe that men have vaginas and can have babies and women have balls, but men can't talk about abortion. Okay. And then the Thanksgiving stuff. It just, the Thanksgiving stuff, they couldn't, they couldn't let it go. CBS segment on Thanksgiving suggests families have drinks and hors d'oeuvres in the garage while everyone takes a COVID rapid test. It's a fucking cult. Oh, by the way, this happened. Yeah, yeah, that happened. You didn't hear about it. But yeah, he took an axe to shit. He's out on bail. The parents of this kid who just shot some shit up. They have culpability. The school has culpability. But they got a half a million dollar bond. While Mr. Waukesan, who we don't even hear anything about anymore. Um, yeah, he had a thousand after running over his girlfriend. Because, you know, hey, it, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. I'm going to save this one. Let's move on. Then there was deprogram your relatives for Thanksgiving. This is the USA Today because we're going to shit on it and indigenous people shit, which, you know, we, we didn't have this before. Elizabeth Warren, America's paying record high prices for the Thanks Turkey, Thanksgiving turkey while big poultry. She wants to investigate. What the fuck is big poultry? And then you you totally nail it with the vice. Dig into the history and you'll see plenty of early American colonizers were super gay. And the compatriots had views of it that were complicated to say the least. So now we're going back in time and we're saying people were gay. That that's that's what we're doing. It, it, it is it is like we've talked about a million fucking times on the show. These fucking people rewrite history. They get away with it. It's okay. They're good with that. Rewrite the history. Make it what it fits. I mean, to show how out of touch they are, because they want to be Europe. This is a commercial in Europe.
Cristo, Jeg har ikke i år, så jeg kan være sammen med dig. Santa's gay. Yeah, Santa's gay. So, why wouldn't we believe they're going to bury a murderous rampage? This is the Milwaukee Sentinel. They they didn't even cover it a couple days after. A lot of them were, how about this is get rid of SUVs? That's what the left are saying on Twitter. They're all saying it. We should ban SUVs just like they do with banning guns. CNN and the Rolling Stones, they all went to January 6th. That was more important. We're going to start talking about January 6th again. Stephen L. Miller sums it up. Look at that. That's all they talked about. It was completely gone from their website, Waukesian, three days later. The New York Times. The grief in Waukesian, Wisconsin has been concealed on the loss of five adults after an SUV barreled. The SUV all by itself barreled into people. WAPO. After SUV slammed in there. And they literally try to explain it. Try to explain it away. Vice. 
The right is using it as a weapon to ruin our plan to let everybody out and only prosecute based on race, which is anti-American. Then you find out this guy was pro-Hitler. He was a bad dude. That's Chicago. That's Chicago, folks. 1,000 fucking murders. All because of bail reform. All because we're saying we're no longer going to enforce the laws of the land. You have a a district attorney who says, well, it was just a a shooting. It was an incident. She was being interviewed this fucking week. And literally there was gunshots. They didn't care. Security guards killed. That was a journalist. They don't care. LGBTQ nation pushing all this. It's trans people getting murdered. Democrats suggest addressing racial bias after black girls brutally attack Asian girls. And they say it's not their fault. It's not their fault. They just have an agenda. And that agenda is so defined with our media jerk out, jerk off. Man, they are really just. Abortion is so important to these fucking ghouls. Miami politics. The media jerk off of the week. Gloria, I just want to start with you because some of the questions from the justices struck me how little they know about pregnancy. I mean, never mind abortion. The the, the question from John Roberts, he was basically asking, why isn't 15 weeks fine? I mean, as though he doesn't know that there are all sorts of screening tests when you're pregnant that happen at week 18, at week 20, that decide the viability of your fetus. You get important information at week 20 that you didn't know before that but i don't it didn't sound like he understood that so here's his question if you think that the issue is one of choice uh, uh, that women should have a choice to terminate their pregnancy um, that supposes that there is a point at which they've had the fair choice uh, opportunity to choice and why would 15 weeks be an inappropriate line so viability, it seems to me, doesn't have anything to do with choice. Um, uh, but if it really is an issue about choice, why is 15 weeks not enough time? Okay, so what did you hear there, Gloria? Um, I'm hearing somebody who doesn't really understand that um, sometimes in the early stages, a woman might not even know she's pregnant for some time, you know, depending on how her body changes or doesn't change. I think it's also a wrestling period of trying to just figure out how can someone feel a time period in which a woman's choice should be made as opposed to having viability be that choice. And then that brings in science. It goes almost to what we're dealing with right now with COVID, a feeling versus science. 
And in this instance, that's what we're working with. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think anybody really believed Brett Kavanaugh uh, when he said that to Susan Collins. Susan Collins uh, apparently did. Uh, but it, going to Dana's point, this has been the fight on the right uh, for decades. It's what energized uh, white evangelicals uh, to back uh, Donald Trump in the, in the numbers that they did in, in 2016. I think the consequences of this, when you think about a state-by-state -state decision on whether or not a state can control essentially family planning in a woman's womb, I mean, that uh, is sort of the slippery slope that you enter uh, if this becomes the reality, if Roe v. Wade uh, is overturned, uh, that is something to behold and think about in these different states where this might be the reality. Right. We would, if we get to that point when the court decides, we'll have a, both a legal and a political conversation about what impact it would have in the midterm election year and elections on from there. But let's talk about that from a legal perspective. If, as Justice Kavanaugh suggests here, let's just take the Supreme Court out of this. So they overturn Roe, they overturn Planned Parenthood versus Casey, obviously, and they say this is a decision now left to the states. What happens to the legal framework? Every state has to make a decision, and then those decisions then get challenged up through the courts as well, right? Well, from a legal perspective, yes, then it would go back to the states. But there are, all, there are already over 25 states that have laws on the books that would be triggered by such a decision. So if the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe and Casey, these state laws would immediately go into effect. So as a practical matter, the Supreme Court really is making the decision whether uh, a woman's liberty and her ability to make this choice. Definitely. Um, getting rid of the viability standard, which is currently what's in place. So essentially the law right now says that states cannot completely ban abortion after the point of fetal viability. So after the point that the fetus can survive outside of the woman's body. That happens well after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So even if the Mississippi law gets upheld at the 15-week standard, as Alexis says, the best case scenario, we're doing away with now decades of established Supreme Court precedent and throwing this huge wild card out to the states. If no longer viability, well, why 15 weeks? Why not six weeks? Why not four weeks? It creates total legal chaos and functionally guts Roe without actually doing it outright. And that's the best case at this mm -hmm. point. That's the, 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 what you consider to be the best case. The, the alternative is, is the Gorsuch-Thomas-Alito way, which is just do away with it completely, overturn it completely, which means each state gets to decide, which means as many as 20 states, maybe more, what, just outlaw each and every abortion. Exactly. And, and that's what is so terrifying, is leaving this decision up to the individual states. And if we can return back to our period of Reconstruction following the Civil War, the whole point of the 14th Amendment was to protect the rights of people that were marginalized. And I'm speaking about enslaved black people. And so the fact that the 14th Amendment protects individuals' rights to uh, bodily dignity, to um, liberty, and then to leave that up to the, the states, the whim of a majority vote of, of state legislatures cuts directly. You know, this is fundamentally when you hear this argument that Mississippi, Mississippi, the state that fought school integration, the state that has so long fought against all the right, fundamental rights of other groups of people is actually saying, you know what, history. Rely on history, no matter how sexist, no matter how racist, no matter how divisive, in deciding whether or not this precedent should stand. And to hear a Justice Alito say, why, what did courts do in 1864? 1864. Well, you know what? 
As a black woman, I certainly hope that is not our historical litmus test about how we protect our rights today. And to Neil's point about a Justice Kavanaugh saying, let the legislators sort it out, because I heard that loud and clear that his leaning is to say, let's leave it up to the states. Mm -hmm. This is the same Supreme Court that has literally opened the floodgates to voter suppression after literally spending 100 years of fighting to gain fair access to the ballots and so much voter suppression happening across the country but now we're supposed to leave it up to legislators that are actively working because of this supreme court's recent precedent coming out of south carolina former confederacy to say yeah go back to your old ways make it harder for people to actually vote this is the reality of america today and this is the grounded and experiential reality that is being the end of roe v wade the supreme court appearing ready to upend the landmark abortion rights ruling what it could mean for millions of women across the country seismic shift the supreme court signals it could walk back abortion rights that have stood for nearly 50 years after hearing the biggest challenge on the issue in decades access to abortion may be in jeopardy after a day of arguments at the supreme court As Roe v. Wade. Big day in Mississippi. They're missing out on covering, you know, Mississippi drama, Mississippi. Yeah. We deserve full coverage, you know, as the Supreme Court case yeah. is center stage. What do you think? I don't really have that much faith that Mississippi has terrific counsel that's going to be able to make the case, frankly, if I'm going to give my You mean to get, brutal, the, to get the court off of... Yes, to, to, overturn, to overturn Roe versus Wade. I just, I'm not... Yeah. I don't have that much confidence in... In, in the Mississippi yes. lawyers. Yes. Well, and I, I've got to say also, the Hill is so steep. You look, and I know people don't like to think that the Supreme Court looks at opinion, public opinion. But you've got like seven out of 10 Americans saying they do not want Roe overturned. This is a 50 year precedent starting next year. 70% of Americans support Roe v. Wade. Yeah. The precedent uh, next year, I think, fifth, a half century precedent. Uh, you look at this poll from ABC News, and um, it's, it's, yeah, again, pretty overwhelming. Um, that one says 60% uphold, 27% overturn. Everything I've seen from Gallup through the years, overturning is either one-third of Americans or less than one-third of Americans. I mean, the question is, is, does this court really want to be the court that overturns a 50-year precedent that only 27% of Americans support? I mean, again, it is while they look at the law and they follow the law, they also understand uh, that they're in a constitutional republic. The concern I have is twofold. One, the people that would be most impacted by it are going to seek abortions anyway, which increases danger, right. particularly among uh, disadvantaged communities and communities of color. And secondly, those moralists that can't divide personal views, religious or whatever we may have, from how you govern and giving people the right to choose yeah. uh, where they want to go in life. And the people that are for life <clears throat> until the child is born, they're pro-life until the kid is born, and then they're against any kind of support for the same children. Well, and, and yesterday, and we're going to be getting into it a little bit later, uh, you had a senator from Connecticut uh, give a, a very stirring speech, really, about the culture of life and the very people 
that are running around self-righteously beating their chests, talking about uh, supporting uh, pro-life issues are the, are the very people who, of course, won't do what 90% of Americans want and get universal background checks. Really, please? To, I mean, anybody, anybody that I hear talking about being pro-life again in the age of COVID, where they are deliberately lying, like Ronnie Jackson, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, deliberately lying to their people when they know they're deliberately lying to their people, and putting their... With Justice Sotomayor asking whether the court would survive the stench of being considered a political institution. Surviving the stench, in the words of Justice Sotomayor, possibly the only remaining question about the Mississippi case is where we start today. The Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates? To come back to Justice Sotomayor's point, what do they do? about the stench. I worry deeply about the court's ability to survive what she called that political stench. What Justice Sotomayor said today about the stench. Justices Sotomayor and Kagan um, used their time today to talk about their quote was the stench of the court. What is agenda? Agenda. And I had Wallace on there at the end because she was using the very words of Sotomayor, who also said this. Virtually every state defines a brain death as death. Yet the literature is filled with episodes of people who are completely and utterly brain dead responding to stimuli. Um, it, there's about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to, uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. What the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? Remember, they're real jurists. It's the Republicans are all, they're all just biased and shit. Yeah, these fuckers are back out. Washington Post imagines women as men's property. Because we watched way too much of that Netflix show that I will not name. Then they went the angle of there's too many trips because if you had these, uh, the only places that allow you to have them is the West Coast and the Northeast, so you'd have to travel. What's wrong with that? Maybe think about what you're doing because you can't use birth control. I mean, that's what it's all about. <clears throat> if you had birth control, it wouldn't be a problem, but you don't use birth control. And then my favorite of it, all of it, <clears throat> this world, this lady's a liberal. AP, vulnerable Democrats in Nevada, New Hampshire, promised to make abortion a centerpiece of their political strategy in the midterm. The newly intensity comes amid signs that the Supreme Court could overturn Roe. So far, the response from readers' column has been, this is ridiculous, every single woman I know will be up in arms. 
First of all, that's probably not true. And second of all, it's a big country and your circle of young educated professionals aren't the majority. This is a symptom a broader problem with how American elites approach diversity. We emphasize certain kinds of demographic diversity, a lot of which, yay, but forget that highly educated professionals are unrepresentative of basically any demographic in America. Their interest, taste, needs, and outlook all diverge significantly from the average member of the demographic group. And like all of us, they often tend to be blind to the fact that the things that matter most to them, nobody else gives a fuck about. Certainly, many of my readers are surrounded by progressive women who are absolutely passionate about preserving abortion, but almost all my readers are college-educated, yada, yada, basically, you've been indoctrinated. To quote the Democrat pollster Brian Steicher, the number one issue for women right now is the economy. Number one for black, Latino, Martian. The fact that you know a lot of people who care about abortion rights than anything else is interesting, but it doesn't tell you how the general public will vote. This problem distorts the way we cover issues and the way we frame solutions to problems. The fact that you educate professionally or extremely worried about timing pregnancies in order to protect your career does not mean that it's a number one or even ten issue for most women. I'm not saying you're concerned or invalid. I'm just saying you're not the norm. You're just not the norm. And I was going to play a Ben Shapiro piece because he nails it. But there's an article, 17 points that he breaks down. One, bearing a child and giving up for adoption is significantly less difficult, expensive, or dangerous as an abortion. Adoption is often a pretty good thing. Your birth mom wanted to give birth to you and give up for adoption is better than I got killed. Both your birth mom and adopted mom are happy with adoption decision. You're also being resent being used as a political football. You say that you think about abortion as a form of health care, but this entire article is an acknowledgement that abortion takes a life because you're here to write the article. This is a New York Times article he's responding to. You say that Maria still feels the pain of adoption and say that adoption is traumatizing. You know what could be painful in mother and certainly both painful and ter- tra- uh, traumatizing and deadly for the child? You guessed it. You say adoption is an unalloyed good, that there are no right or wrong answers. Pretty sure murdering a baby is one. This take that human biology is in position and completely pathological, forced to give birth. That was a big talking point all week by all media. Nobody forced you to give birth. It's called biology. Unlike Democrats who believe that this is true, you can fudge numbers and that women have penises. Every creature on the planet procreates. That's how they're designed. If you don't believe in a higher being, Darwin or fucking, I'm sorry. Um, what's the, You know what I'm talking about. Evolution theory. It's just part of it. Sorry. If you're worried that the biological bond between mother and child will be taken away by adoption, I know it will be when you kill it. Adoption is certainly less traumatic for the child. She says there's a difference between 40 weeks and four weeks, but it's doubtful, regardless of what Sotomayor says. Biological brainwashing. To love your kid? Your biological brainwashing is sanity, and you have to love the argument that a mother can't choose to put a child up for adoption because of that biological brainwashing, but can choose it to kill it. Then she makes the early specious argument that pro-lifers ignore the problem of child-rearing. That is such horseshit. We have laws for people to finance said thing. Your guy in Waukesha, lefties, had a lot of charges for not paying. You know, like 40 grand. 
He was a rapper. He had money. Only Democrats talk about women being punished with a child. I can think of a trauma for a child far worse than relinquishing death. But this week, the Salvation Army got all up in this. And they said that they wanted every one of the people donating to apologize for their whiteness. And then they backtracked. Because all fucking day long, all you hear is this spin. With Americans preparing for what could be the most expensive Thanksgiving yet, President Biden taking action today to blunt some of the pain at the pump. The bottom line. Today we're launching a major effort to moderate the price of oil, an effort that will span the globe in its reach and ultimately reach your, cor- your corner gas station, God willing. For drivers, relief can't come soon enough. In just the past year, the average price for a gallon of gas has soared to $3.40. That's $1.29, higher than this time last year. Today, the president tapping into the nation's emergency reserve to help, releasing 50 million gallons of crude oil. The fact is, we always get through those spikes, but we're going to get through this one as well and hopefully faster. But it doesn't mean we should just stand by idly and wait for prices to drop on their own. I pressed the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, on when Americans will feel the impact. So bottom line, how soon will Americans see prices at the pump drop and how long do you expect that to last? It won't happen tomorrow but it'll happen over the next few weeks that people hopefully will start to see the difference. The administration acutely aware that inflation, combined with shipping delays, is hitting families hard. Well, David, it will take 13 days for that oil to be released from the emergency reserve, but economists say the markets are already feeling the effect of the president's decision, so Americans can expect to see those prices come down at the pump in a matter of days. But 50 million barrels is roughly the equivalent of what Americans go through every two and a half days. The SPR is normally reserved for emergencies like wars or hurricanes that disrupt the national supply. This is the first major release for a non-emergency. 50 million barrels of oil will be released from the nation's strategic reserves. That's a drop in the bucket since the U.S. uses about 18 million barrels a day. That was news to the energy secretary. A new NPR Marist survey finds Americans' view of Biden's job approval overall mirrors how they view his handling of the economy. And as you just talked about, inflation is at the top of mind for voters. When people were asked what their top economic concerns are, take a look. Inflation, the top spot there with 39 percent. It was followed by wages, labor shortages, unemployment uh, there at the bottom. Does President Biden deserve the blame for this, Catherine? Should he be, should his approval rating be tied to this? Is, is, are these things under his control? So uh, I will say the thing that I always say when asked about whether presidents um, are properly credited for economic conditions. Presidents get too much credit when the economy is good and too much blame when the economy is bad or too much blame for parts of the economy that are bad or parts of the economy that are good. And that's the situation right now. Um, Inflation is up not because of any particular thing that the president did. It's because there are all of these supply chain disruptions uh, throughout the world caused by the pandemic. Demand is up. That is partly driven by some fiscal policy decisions that Congress and this president and the previous president 
president made, giving people more uh, stimulus checks and things like that. But it's also that people had a lot of savings from last year. They have money in the bank. Uh, that money is, uh, you know, burning a hole in their pocket, so to speak. They want to spend it, and they're trying to buy more stuff even than they were pre-pandemic. They're shifting more of their spending to goods at the same time that goods are difficult to get through the supply chain. All of that is driving inflation up, um, and that's happening worldwide to some extent. Uh, it's not Biden's fault. Uh, and to the same uh, idea, Biden has relatively little that he can do about it. He can kind of change some things on the margins. You know, he's made efforts to get ports operating at longer hours, for example. I think he could be doing more on expediting work permits for legal immigrants, things like that, which the administration has not done. But even all of those things put together probably won't make a huge dent. What we need to see happen is we need to see the pandemic more in the rearview mirror and, and have things normalize and have supply chains normalize so that when people want to buy stuff from around the world, it gets to them. Let's bring in CNN senior law enforcement analyst and former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Charles Ramsey. Charles, you just heard Christine's report there. These attacks are so brazen and of course today is a big shopping day but what is law enforcement supposed to do about this because we haven't really seen a lot of arrests being made after these attacks are happening so what are they supposed to do in response a few years ago in philadelphia we had something very similar taking place where we had uh people mostly teenagers younger adults uh participate in things like this many of the young people that we arrested had no previous criminal records and why they were getting involved in something like this, I have no idea. And so I don't know what's driving all this, but it is of concern and it will continue. It's not going to stop anytime soon. The punishment for this kind of crime is very, very minimal. In most, play in most cases, it's a misdemeanor. There are some DAs that have flat out said they're no longer going to prosecute shoplifting. And this is not shoplifting. This is something far worse than shoplifting. So there's a lot that has to be. And those are the numbers you remember when you're standing there filling up your tank and you're just watching, it's not a dial anymore, but you're watching the numbers go by, or when you're standing in the grocery line and you watch the numbers go up and up and up, which makes it hard for the president to make the case, and it's dangerous for a president to be sound optimistic when people are feeling a punch. But if you look at these numbers, 5.6 million jobs created since Joe Biden became president. The unemployment rate is 4.6%. Disposable income is up 2%. There are positive economic indicators uh, out there, but it, it's very hard for a president or his party to sound, hey, you're fine when people are feeling pain. Well, and that's the delicate balance of going out and selling something like the infrastructure bill or going out and selling this big social safety net bill, because you might be able to argue, look at all these projects coming to your community, but people might think to themselves, but what about my family? What about the fact that when I go to the store, milk costs more than it did two weeks ago. Those are the sort of challenges that the president has and the Democrats really have in messaging their agenda right now, because it is a push and pull. It is a balance to go out and say things are going to get better or things are fine when that may not be the perception of many Americans. And, and you wrote about this. Uh, Joe Biden's not known as a fiery populist by any <laughs> means. It's just not his DNA. But uh, there are, there's a lot of evidence that, yes, a lot of this is the pandemic economy. A lot of this is the economy trying to sure. fight its way out of the pandemic. But there's also a lot of corporations that are saying, hey, prices are up, so no one's going to notice uh, if we jack us up a little bit more, too, and make right. some profits. Right, and that goes, to the, that goes to the attitude or the psychology that you were referring to before. There are CEOs and other senior executives at major corporations that are saying on earnings calls, this is to your point, on earnings calls, bragging about the fact that in, in the current climate, when consumers expect higher prices, is a pretty great time to raise prices. Actually. And so you have massively profitable businesses that are telling their investors, look, this is a great time for us. 
uh, because we can raise these prices. We can pass on costs to the consumers. Uh, and then you've got, of course, the consumers who are feeling the cost passed on. Right. And, and tend to blame the politicians. Of or course. at least they get a chance. They get a chance. And I'm curious what you see in the sweep of history here. It's very hard to get a sense of it as we go in real time. Um, but when we look at the numbers and the spending history and just how rare or how infrequent it is that you get this sort of national investment, I'm curious your thoughts about where this fits in long term. We know Bill Clinton used to say that a president's lucky to get a sentence. Uh, Lincoln saved the Union. FDR defeated the Depression, won World War II. Uh, Biden's well on his way to writing his sentence here. Uh, this is a significant investment in the country. Uh, it will rank, I think, with uh, what President Eisenhower was doing in the 1950s. The fact that we're still talking about President Eisenhower and what happened with the interstate highway bill, I think, proves the point. Put in perspective this bill, because it is, it's big. I mean, what, what do you make of it? There is no way that our descendants will not be reading about what happened today in history books 100 years from now. And, you know, you love trains, so do I. This is what presidents do, both because we need the infrastructure and also because it helps the economy. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, made it possible for there to be a transcontinental railroad because he felt that after the Civil War, the country needed to be pulled together and the economy needed to be jump-started. You and I have both driven by many times, I'm sure, Walter Reed Medical Center in Bethesda, where a certain unmentionable president was sick a year ago and was there for a couple of days. Well, that, he's not the only patient, but that was public works that was invented by FDR, Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s. Uh, he was an amateur architect. Roosevelt, believe it or not, designed the exterior of Walter Reed Hospital, it was then called Bethesda Naval. And he also chose the site. He got really involved in the design of post offices. So in the 1930s, Roosevelt's New Deal was responsible for 70% of city halls, courthouses, 35% of public uh, health installations, uh, new schools, 70% of those remade the country, but it also saved our country because it brought the economy back from the depression. And this is why, see, you're going to make me keep you here for an hour. This, you're going to lose your whole free time because I could just sit here and do this all, all night with you. But I mean, the me thing too, is. Me too, I love it. I love it. And the thing that's so interesting is that Biden is doing like a, a move where he's also correcting some of the things. I mean, I think Eisenhower was the greatest Republican president to me personally, but he had some problems. Is, is, and that, then, like, is that like the, the best restaurant in a hospital? It's firm but fair. Firm but fair. But I mean, he he he's fixing some of the problems with the Eisenhower era. Even if they're literally trying to ban books about black people and saying you cannot talk about black the black experience, we're going to cut that out of schools because white people don't like it. They still want credit. They still want to be able to say it's not racist. And in this case, I just want to get your comment on this because the two choices that voters had in Virginia were a black woman who shares my daughter's name and Jamaican heritage and, a black, right. and an Afro-Latina <laughs> who's part Lebanese. So you had the choice of two brown slash black people and you picked one of them. Do you get credit? <laughs> Do you get special credits like I had ice cream or cake as two options, but I want credit for lowering my calorie count because I picked ice cream. You had two choices and they were both black. Uh, I, your thoughts. <laughs> and, and you eat, I've eaten the cake and the ice cream, clearly. But what's, what's interesting what's it, is that you're absolutely right. They want credit for breathing. They want credit <laughs> for having lungs. 
They want credit for having hair in the morning or getting up and brushing their teeth. Look, I've made an achievement that should be noteworthy. No, you are doing <laughs> what uh, all political figures must do, make choices. The problem is here, they want, they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics one-on-one and this is race not even one-on-one what's beneath one-on-one it's the it's the pre-k of race you should understand the fact that if you tell black people look i support a negro look there is a person of color that i am in favor of and that person of color happens to undermine and undercut and subvert the very principles about which we are concerned you do your yourself no service by pointing to we've got vaccines that work american business is back and it's booming and the hard infrastructure bill passed yet democratic voters are losing motivation going into the midterms what does congress need to do why are the president's poll numbers dropping getting the hard infrastructure bill passed was huge where we stand with covid huge our economic recovery very good look at the jobs numbers could this temporary bad news that spooks the market, Dan, actually be a positive in the broader sense of the economy? We've talked about the overheated demand, uh, gas prices. Suddenly people might say, I'm not going to go out as much. I'm going to play it a little bit safer. Could that temper these prices that keep going up? Gas prices already started going back down, falling for the second straight week. And on Friday, oil dropped 13%, marking its worst day this year. Investors are worried about the Omicron variant and whether these new lockdowns could come and cause less driving. We will be keeping an eye on this and bringing you more of the facts as we get them. And what we also hope, for every reporter out there who was standing at a gas station over the last month talking about rising gas prices and what it's doing to Americans, I certainly hope those same reporters, those same storytellers will be... With the new Omicron variant sweeping the globe, how do we finally put an end to this pandemic? How do we save lives and get business back to normal so everybody can put dinner on the table? Simple. The federal government needs to require vaccines, including booster shots, for everyone in America. By, say, January 1st, there are still some things that need to be done at a national level, and this is one of them. But as we brace for another wave of new deaths from a virus that has killed more Americans than World War II or even the Civil War, it's time to admit that our government has lost the ability or the will to make our people do the right thing. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. So we've allowed a pastiche of uncoordinated health organizations to dictate an on-again, off-again series of measures that mostly just leave us baffled and confused. We haven't centralized the issue to the point where the White House actually seems to take responsibility. Let's see, first it was the CDC, and then, then the FDA, then the National Institutes of Health, mostly coordinating policy through talk shows. Then we left vaccination policy to individual companies. Now it's toothless OSHA going back and forth on what's allowed in factories, but nobody with any power is saying the frontline workers need to be vaccinated. It's just plain wrong, and most of us are sick of it even as a vocal anti-vax minority is always grabbing the mic. This charade must end. 
The government must require vaccinations, not of this group or that group, not company by company, not cruise ship by cruise ship or airline by airline or governor by governor. The buck stops at the White House. Some of us are old enough to remember when we were told we had to get a needle stuck into our arms because of some disease that was so scary we didn't even, we were afraid to talk about it. The disease was called polio. No one knew how you got it, but you were scared to go to a place where anyone might congregate, a swimming pool, a park. Then we got a vaccine, vaccine that worked, and President Eisenhower said we would end polio. He pulled it off because he didn't give us any choice. Soon after, as if the needle were too hard, they came up with a sugar cube. Uh, they being the scientists at the time. And we lined up and took them, too. Mine tasted like maraschino cherries. Yeah, like the Del Monte fruit cocktail my mom served, but only better. Lord knows what happened if you didn't partake. But back then, anyone who refused to get vaccinated would get ratted out immediately because we knew that person could hurt other people. The commonweal was a, a commonweal. Now we're engaged in a similar struggle with COVID, and Eisenhower would be aghast. We have immunocompromised people who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully unvaccinated? That's psychotic. We have companies that have tried hard to get people vaccinated now backing down. We have governors who want to be president by grandstanding on a foolish state's right issue, the right to get sick and get other people sick. So it's time to admit that we have to go to war against COVID. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status. In- that's why liberals can do it. I mean, that's Stephanie Rule and the Kramer guy. Are you fucking kidding me? They're defending this. Now, remember, he stopped the Keystone Pipeline because he wanted to coddle favor to the, the Earth is dying in eight years crowd. Then all of a sudden... He allowed Russia to do shit when all we've been hearing is Russia is the enemy forever. And now we found out they got a bunch of money. Schumer, Nader. They all got money. Of course they gave it to him. I mean, it's just fucking nonstop. It's nonstop. Here is This Is America, because once again, I can keep this short. CNN outraged because people are talking to Nazis back at the left because, you know, they did it for years. And the reality check by Avalon on CNN about redistricting, even though he knows both parties do it. But they're so... This, in their own world, this is what CNN airs. For those of you keeping score at home, that's two fauci fascist comparisons from Fox News hosts in one day. But I gotta say, if people are actually keep coming up to Laura Logan and comparing Dr. Fauci to Joseph Mengele, maybe it says something about the company she's keeping. But of course, that's kind of the point. Hating Dr. Fauci has become a hothouse cottage industry on the far right. It began in the early months of COVID when polls showed that Fauci was more trusted than Trump. And this, of course, was an unforgivable sin resulted in repeated attacks on the doctor by the Donald. Became a right-wing signifier with GOP fundraising off anti-Fauci swag like Governor Ron DeSantis pushing Don't Fauci My Florida t-shirts as his state closed in on record COVID rates this summer. And according to data from Bully Pulpit Interactive, cited by Politico, conservatives spent $300,000 on Facebook ads targeting Fauci in the month of May alone as the threats became more personal and conspiratorial. You don't have to think that Dr. Fauci's gotten everything right in hindsight to see that these attacks are desperate deflections. But the larger issue 
is this constant drumbeat of demonizing Dr. Fauci. It's an outgrowth of the disinformation industrial complex, which amplifies any negative narrative about designated enemies. And these obsessive efforts are a symptom of this environment of asymmetric information warfare, where some people profit off polarization and misinformation, while local newspapers that actually edit and fact check are dying on the vine. The combination seems almost designed to decrease trust in media and institutions at a time where we desperately need to be able to reason together. As it stands, social media algorithms more easily spread misinformation than truth. We need transparency about how folks exploit these algorithms because right now, lies and conspiracy theories appear to be getting more exposure than actual facts. The sheer volume of disinformation is disorienting, I get it. It could cause people to lose their common sense. But these nightmare visions of negative partisanship are always ultimately. The rigged system of redistricting is the single biggest structural driver of polarization in our politics. And the great state of Ohio just showed us how professional partisan cynical disregard for the will of the people undermines representative democracy. You see, the Republican-controlled legislature just passed an absurd partisan gerrymander designed to give them control of as many as 13 congressional seats giving Democrats just two. Okay, that's an 87% of the congressional delegation in a state where Trump won just 53% of the vote. So these maps are an insult to democracy. They are designed to disenfranchise voters. But believe it or not, that's not the worst of it. Because in 2018, just three years ago, a stunning 75% of Ohio voters backed an amendment to their state constitution, ensuring that redistricting would be bipartisan and not favor any one political party. It also promised that congressional maps would be drawn in such a way as to keep counties and towns whole, imposing geographic common sense on the absurd gerrymanders that demide communities to maximize partisan power. Well, Ohio Republicans just decided to disregard the state constitution and the will of the voters. See, a seven-member redistricting commission had a month to work on a fair map. But Republican members refused to participate, and so the commission couldn't convene. The power to draw the lines fell back to the Republican-controlled state assembly, who proceeded to do exactly what the constitutional amendment forbid. They cracked and packed minority communities, dividing counties and cities for their own partisan advantage. For example, oh, Hamilton County, home to Cincinnati, which voted for Biden by a 16-point margin, will be divided into three congressional districts with black voters offset by white Republicans. And that's why many are saying this map might not only violate the Ohio Constitution, but the U.S. Voting Rights Act. While this partisan map is clearly in violation of the state constitution, what it really does is show that Republicans only care about controlling Congress in the upcoming midterms. And they won't be constrained by pesky things like laws or state constitutions in their pursuit of power. And what happens in Ohio doesn't stay in Ohio. This is just one example of the rigged redistricting that's happening in state houses across the country right now, trying to predetermine the midterm elections before a single vote is cast. It's also an example of why federal election reform is so needed, because even statewide reforms backed by the vast majority of voters can be discarded by the party in power. As David Pepper, former chair of the Ohio State Democratic Party, writes in his new book, Laboratories of Autocracy, we are witnessing a coordinated nationwide weaponization of state houses to undermine American democracy itself. Make no mistake.
CNN is suspending anchor and our colleague Chris Cuomo indefinitely. New documents revealed he was more involved than previously known in shaping the defense for his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who faced sexual misconduct allegations. Brian Selter joins me now with the news on this. Brian. Yeah, some news about our own house here, John. And of course, Chris, a former co-anchor of New Day, now CNN's primetime host, one of the highest rated hosts on CNN. This was a long time coming. Cuomo in the news all year long because of his brother and because of the scandal involving the now former governor. Uh, it was known that Chris Cuomo was talking to his brother, giving political advice. But in the newly released documents, uh, you can see that Chris Cuomo is essentially working as an unpaid advisor, an aide, as if he is a staffer of the governor's, giving political advice, uh, giving commentary, also working his own sources to try to find out more about what might be revealed about his brother. Here's the statement from CNN overnight about the suspension, saying, when Chris admitted to us that he had offered advice to his brother's staff, he broke our rules and we acknowledged that publicly. But we also appreciated the unique position he was in and understood the need to put family first and job second. However, these documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew. And as a result, we have suspended Chris indefinitely pending further evaluation. So that's the statement from CNN executives overnight. I think what's going on here, it is a little bit complicated, John. You've got media critics condemning Chris, calling on CNN to take action. You have some colleagues here at CNN who were mad at Chris Cuomo for putting the network in a tough spot and wanted to see action. You also have a lot of viewers, though, who love Chris Cuomo and are now ticked off that he's off the air and they want to see him back. So there's a mixture of uh, relief, disappointment. It's a complicated situation. I think the bottom line is that Cuomo is on the bench for now. We're heading into a holiday season. I think it's possible he will be on the bench for several weeks. It's possible he'll be back in January. Uh, but I think what's going to happen now here at CNN is a more thorough review of the New York Attorney General's document dump in order to find out more about what happened. Brian Stelter, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I forgot complicated from Seltzer about Cuomo. It's complicated. It's all so complicated. It is a different world. These are the people that spent an entire four years not only calling Trump a Nazi, his voters Nazis and brown shirts, while their brown shirts were burning down fucking cities. These are the people that believe they can lie and twist numbers and that cars kill people when a real racist attacks. A real one. Not a manufactured like Rittenhouse, not when you want to be, but the facts don't align. So let's end with some lighter fare and Tucker Carlson. Big changes in the tiny hothouse, and it is tiny, of cable news this evening. CNN's top-rated anchor, Chris Cuomo, has been pulled off the air likely for good. We'll probably never see him on camera again. For us here at Fox, it feels like the end of something. Like most Americans, we never actually watched the Chris Cuomo show, assuming that was its name. But over the years, we saw his clips, and they transfixed us. Very often as a public service, but also because honestly we could not help ourselves, we brought them to you. How, we wondered, did a man who could barely speak English wind up with a paying job on television? Was it some kind of weird affirmative action program for the illiterate? We never figured it out, but it was remarkable to see it. 
sentence after badly mangled sentence, a bouillabaisse of incomprehensible grammar. You couldn't understand any of it. At CNN, there is no penalty for falseness. The only thing you can't do at CNN, the thing that they will never tolerate, is displeasing the people in charge. That means not simply Jeff Zucker, who runs the company, but the billionaires who run our country. If you cross them, you're done. So this morning when we saw The Atlantic magazine, we knew it was curtains for Chris Cuomo. And The Atlantic decided that it was deeply displeased Chris Cuomo had dared to help his brother, the former governor of New York, when he was accused of sexual harassment. Chris Cuomo must go, The Atlantic declared. And then we knew he would. We knew it was over. In the world that Jeff Zucker lives in, The Atlantic makes the rules. If Jeff Zucker told this guy to denounce his own wife on television, do you think he'd hesitate before doing it? Well, of course he wouldn't, not for a second. So what happens to CNN without Chris Cuomo? Well, here is exclusive footage this show has just obtained of the Dwarf King and his minions, including Don Lamont, putting Chris Cuomo in a shallow grave. I, I think I figured out why Chris Cuomo lifts so much. It's because he was the only guy carrying that network's ratings. As small as those ratings were, the reality is Chris Cuomo was the only draw that that network has had. Admittedly, being the highest rated anchor on CNN really is being like the best caterer in Uzbekistan. I mean, it's a it's a relative measure. Kind of a good tell for like what our ruling class is interested in. Like the elites are very insular. They don't actually care what the average audience member is interested in. They don't care that the way you probably have watched CNN through the last few years has been you accidentally bumped into it in an airport. It's not about that. It's about what are their friends at the New York Times think. The second the New York right. Times and the Atlantic turned against Chris Cuomo, Chris Cuomo was thrown off the ship. Imagine working for a company in which your boss cares what the Atlantic magazine thinks. I mean, that's, <laughs> it, it, it is, it's beyond. I, I, imagine knowing someone who can So to my, to surmise the podcast. Killing a baby is the best thing you can do in the world, and they want to continue to lie and say everybody wants that when everybody is for what most of these laws are, that there was a restriction. I mean, I even learned for the first time Roe v. Wade stated 24 weeks. I never knew that. You damn sure didn't hear it when most of the blue states during the Trump administration allowed live birth abortions. A la Governor Northam, we're just going to let the baby hang out and see what it feels. And if we want to keep it, then we're going to keep it. But we probably won't keep it because, yeah, we, we don't want to keep it. Cars attack people. Real racists that are black are not racist, but everybody who's white is a racist. We're still saying that we're not going to call people looters, even though now it's organized crime. And even though I didn't put a nice slide up, the reality is that if you're white, you're going to get a huge bond. But if you're black, you're just going to walk out. Because America's racist and shit. And more importantly, over the top of it, we're going to know, as we always know, but if you haven't phoned a friend and told them... This media will spin this fucking feckless piece of shit who makes everything difficult for us. From gas to food to Christmas presents, you name it, he is going to fuck it up. Right now he's sick, he can barely walk, 
but don't we're not going to do any invest we're having any doctors come on and talk about his mental health his gait his cough the a million things this fuck face does like we did with trump we're, we're not going to do that because you know why would we that would make too much sense we'd actually have standards and we don't want to have standards i mean the simple fact that no major media is researching brooks and no major media knew that biden co got free money and that's why they gave russians a pipeline says everything you need to know just a couple podcasts ago, we talked about the myriad of fake fucking stories. The list of stories not covered are insane. There are so many. It's fucking criminal. So, let's get Jolly Santa shirt on. Let's look at the calendar. Um, unfortunately, my world is steaming pile of shit. It might improve. But as of right now, the next opportunity is the 12th, 12th, the 19th. And my intent is to do a podcast uh, Thursday night, the 23rd for our Christmas one. Followed up with the end of year podcast on the 27th. I'm taking a four day weekend. So my intent is to do those podcasts. What I'm going to try to do between here and there, because the listen, listenings are starting to wane, a lot of people have already gone through the back catalog, is try to figure out a day that I get up super early and I do a short show. I've tried, you know, I'm getting off like at 4 o'clock central, but by the time I fight traffic, it's 5, and got to be quite honest, I don't feel like podcasting. I ice my knee, feel sorry for myself when I go to bed. It's where I'm at still. Whiny. But I got to try to get a couple more, so I'm going to work on it. But this completes another episode, one that's a uh, long time ago. His last one's been about two weeks. Please share this with your family and friends by going to FOP Podcast. We have links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Enjoy the holiday season. I am sure by the time we hit the next podcast, we're going to have a litany of why we should not be celebrating Christmas for the planet, because of racism, because of reindeer, because it is, you know, cultural appropriation of elves. I mean, who the fuck knows? We'll be whipping that shit out. And tune back in no later than, once again, December freaking 12th for another exciting episode of Flower Politics Podcast. I promise, folks, in about a year, I'll be done with this working thing because we'll be good and I will be podcasting my ass off. Take care. See you next time.